0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Almost two years ago, a few of us were sitting in a room talking about how we could help people see themselves in a new way. And that day, this podcast was born. It was born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life, and the firm belief That a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing why. You see, at the foundation of our behavior and beliefs is the way we see the world and ourselves in it. So hopefully this podcast will give you a new perspective to help you think and live better. And when you're done listening today, please share this podcast with a friend. It may be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about how to innovate you. If you exclude Alaska, what's the northernmost place in the United States? Minnesota. In fact, the state boundary has this crazy weird extension into Canada that encompasses a good portion of the Lake of the Woods. This is such a weird departure from the straight line boundary between northern states like Montana and Canada. And this is not the only strange thing about Minnesota. I find it both strange and remarkable that one in six people living in Minnesota own a boat. The Los Angeles Lakers used to be located in Minnesota, hence the name Lakers. Each year, Minnesota lakes are stocked with 250 million fish. That's 41 fish for every living person in the state. And unique to Minnesota is the fact that one of the most popular winter sports is ice fishing. Now, if you've ever gone ice fishing, you, like me, may not get its appeal. I mean, drilling a hole in the ice and sitting in the middle of winter on top of an ice sheet and waiting for a fish to bite your line may not seem like that much fun. But thousands of people in Minnesota ice fish every winter day. And it's not that easy. In the winter, fish move to the deeper water in the lake, so you need to safely get to the middle of the lake without falling through the ice. And then you must drill a 10-inch wide hole in the ice. Then you get your fishing rod, which is shorter than a normal casting rod, and you use minnows or maggots or wax worms for live bait. Then you jig, meaning you move your rod lightly so the bait appears to be moving in the water. And if you're really innovative, you use a device called a tip-up that has a small flag on it. And when the fish takes the bait, it pulls on the line and raises the flag. Well, there are a lot of ways to ice fish, but all of them involved standing or sitting on the ice and hoping a fish comes along. Well, just a few weeks ago, about 200 people were ice fishing in northern Minnesota. It was a typical ice fishing day. But about 1130 a.m., the local police station received a 911 call. The fisherman on the other end of the line said about 200 ice fishing anglers were stranded. How could they be stranded? Well, they were on the Upper Red Lake, about 300 miles north of the Twin Cities and 40 miles south of the Canadian border. And with temperatures fluctuating from below freezing to 50 degrees Fahrenheit over the prior several days, the ice along the edge of the lake melted. And when the wind started to blow, it moved the entire sheet of ice upon which the people were fishing into the middle of the large lake. Now, this isn't unusual. Each year, there are dozens of such instances. Earlier this year in Green Bay, 30 fishermen were stranded on floating ice. On Lake Erie, the same thing happened. And the worst thing is they didn't catch any fish while they were waiting for helicopters to come and rescue them. But it occurs to me in many ways, we're like these ice fishermen. We've done all we thought was needed to prosper in life. We've drilled our holes, so to speak. We've prepared our lines. We packed our lunch. We've done everything we need to do. And what happens? The entire sheet of ice, the Ground underneath us moves, something entirely out of our control. And these kinds of shifts in our circumstances happen to all of us. Illness comes our way, economies change, our employer makes a poor decision, and the list goes on. And it isn't a question of if the ground underneath you is going to shift. It's more a question of when. And the real question is, when that happens, how will you act or react to ensure you remain on solid ground? Because it's during these shifts, these times of change, that some people thrive and prosper and others don't. And how do they do that? Well, the answer to that question lies in what they see. Some people and businesses see the shifting landscape as an opportunity, and they are innovating to realize that opportunity. So, what about your business or job or family? What changing circumstances are coming your way? And how can you innovate in your life or in your business to take advantage of those changing circumstances? For example, in your business, there's a few trends in marketing that are taking shape around you. Here's one micro influencers, small everyday social media promoters, are the target of many brands nowadays. For example, Rosie, who's known online as the Londoner, is a popular travel and lifestyle influencer with 330,000 followers. And her posts get an 11% engagement. So how are advertisers using her account? Well, because they can see the data, they know what people engage on her account, what their profile is, and companies package that up and sell it to the right companies. And these online brokers are growing in number and sophistication. Another trend is that social media is now becoming a customer service tool. Last month, for example, one in four millennials interacted with brands for a purchase or a return on social media platforms rather than the brand website. And of course, many of you already know that more than half of the online traffic is now done on mobile devices rather than on desktops. Now, other significant changes in business and marketing and technology are happening around us. And what does that mean for you? It means opportunity. You know, if you go back four or five decades and ask the question, who's the largest retailer in the world? Do you know what the answer would have been? Sears. At one point in time, Sears annual sales represented 1% of the entire U.S. economy. And in those years, over two-thirds of the entire U.S. population shopped at least once from Sears. That is a far cry from the 50 Sears stores that are in existence today. Well, what happened? How did Sears fall from the position of the largest retailer to really a small, insignificant retailer? Well, the answer to that question is a tremendous lesson in the cost of not being innovative. In 1892, Richard Sears and Ava Roebuck started a mail-order catalog company. Sears, who worked on the railroad, could see how the railroad was changing everyday life for Americans. And he met Roebuck, who was a watch repairman, and together they started a mail-order catalog selling jewelry and watches. And soon, their business grew to other products. By 1900, the Sears catalog was 322 pages and it included sewing machines, bicycles, and even automobiles. They were incredibly innovative. By 1925, Sears and Roebuck saw that the automobile was going to change the way of life and that consumers would soon be traveling to shop. So they opened up their first physical store, and that grew. By the 1970s, Sears had thousands of retail stores. In 1980, Sears purchased the investment firm Dean Witter and the real estate company Coldwell Banker. Sears launched Discover Credit Card, and soon 20 million people were using Discover. Up until this point in time, Sears sounds like an innovation company, doesn't it? And even as other retailers started to emerge, Sears remained strong. At one point in the 1990s, Sears and Walmart were both generating about $31 billion in revenue. So, why did Walmart grow and Sears did not? Well, the simple answer is Sears stopped innovating. Why? Well, that's the question we can all learn from. You see, it wasn't a shift in technology that moved underneath Sears, but a shift in economics. During the 1990s and even into the next decade, wages grew by 16%. But when you consider inflation, wages actually went back 9%. Walmart saw that, and they were able to lower their costs because they built stores in rural areas that were less expensive. Sears, however, occupied expensive real estate and shopping malls. Walmart used the latest technology to move inventory inexpensively and negotiated with suppliers to lower prices. Sears didn't do these seemingly boring yet essential things to respond to the changing economy. Instead, They kept their prices high and invested millions in ad campaigns such as Welcome to the Softer Side of Sears. These millions could have been spent to change their store locations, warehouses, supply chain, and other things. But here's what I think. The major difference was that Walmart had a North Star, a clear proposition, to be the most affordable retailer with the lowest prices. And this focus forced them to innovate and act. And become who they became. Sears had nothing, no end goal, no well thought out path, and as a result, they didn't innovate or act or respond to changing market conditions. They invested very little in their stores, and as a result, they looked tired. In fact, in 2017, Sears spent approximately 91 cents per square foot to upgrade its stores. At the same time, J.C. Penney spent $4 per square foot, Poles spent $8 per square foot, and Best Buy spent $15 to make upgrades. And here's the most remarkable thing. By 1990, the Sears catalog business was losing money because the catalogs themselves were too big to print and distribute. So, in 1993, they closed their shopping-from-home catalog business. One year later, in 1994, Amazon launched its business. Just when Sears, who already had millions of customers shopping from home, could have transitioned to an online catalog, they stopped. And it was then another company who could see the future of shopping from home started. Well, then came along Kmart, another business that refused to innovate, and they purchased Sears. Why? Well, most experts agree that they saw themselves in Sears. old, tired, not innovative. And the new combined company continues to flounder. You know, I think we are often the same. When we stop innovating in our business or life, when we don't live or lead proactively, who do we seek out? Well, we seek out people like ourselves. So what do we learn from all of this? You've got to innovate. Innovation does so many things for your business and for you. It brings in energy, vibrancy, and hope. It challenges you and your team, and that challenge is what helps you grow. Remember, much of Walmart's innovation was in doing the basics, purchasing, distribution, those things, better than anyone else. And too often, we think innovation must be noticed and loud and large, when in fact, the best innovation happens in the small things. Amazon programmer Perry Hartman wanted to find a way to make the ordering system completely frictionless for their customers. So he built the software to enable one-click purchases. And it worked, and it was patented by Amazon in 1997. Well, that patent is expired, and many companies now use the same concept. But it was a small innovation that made a big difference for Amazon for a lot of years. Southwest Airlines sought input from their employees on how to make the typical airline flight more enjoyable. Employees suggested changes to things that may have seemed off limits, like safety announcements. For example, Marty Cobbs came up with this safety announcement. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then place it on your child. And if you're traveling with more than one child, Start with the one with the greatest earning potential. Well, it's estimated that Southwest Airlines safety announcements and innovative culture has brought an incremental $140 million a year in increased customer loyalty. And that's no joke. One of the leaders on my team is innovating in her ability to communicate. She's paying close attention to every detail of her language, style, personality, and writing. She sets goals each week, and works on her personal style. And as a result, she is innovating herself into someone quite remarkable. One business leader that I know decided her business and her life is something worth sharing. So she spends about 15 minutes a day taking a lesson from her business or life, curating it, and posting it for the good of others. And she's not a me monster. She's not focused on herself, but she's genuinely sharing in hopes of helping others with their business. And she is influencing others and attracting others to her brand. Here's my point. Some people look at innovation as difficult. It's intimidating because you don't understand the technology or the market or it looks and feels like work. But innovation is where you find the joy and energy and focus that will fuel your business and life. And by the way, innovation is not age-dependent. I see a lot of 40, 50, and 60-year-old people innovating. And why is innovation necessary at any age? Because we are all on a sheet of ice, so to speak. And it is moving. And unlike the fishermen in Minnesota, there's no 911 number to call. It's up to each of us to get proactive and move ourselves. So, if all of this is true, then how do you bring a little more innovation to your life and business. Well, recently, McKinsey and Company finished a multi-year study of over 2,500 executives in over 300 companies of all types. And what they found were a handful of essential attributes of successful innovators. And what were those attributes? Well, the first was to aspire. When John F. Kennedy became president in January of 1961, The U.S. was losing its space race with Russia. And even more, there was a race of sorts throughout the world. Democracy versus communism. Russia would soon launch the first man into space. The Bay of Pigs would remind everyone of the fragility of the U.S. in protecting itself. And there was a lot of fear in the world, especially following World War II. Well, Kennedy stood up before Congress on May 25th of his first year in office, and proposed that the U.S. should commit itself to landing a man on the moon. And the majority of people disagreed. In fact, 58% of Americans surveyed were opposed. But Kennedy knew something that others did not know, that space technology could eventually be the way war would be fought in the future. Remember, at the time, the U.S. had never put a rocket, a monkey, a man, or anything else into space, let alone fly a man to the moon, land him on the moon, and bring him back to Earth safely. This was ambitious at its best and ridiculous on its face. So, this was an ambitious aspiration. One year later, on September 12, 1962, Kennedy stood at the stadium at Rice University. And this is what he said about landing a man on the moon. We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won. And they must be won and used for the progress of all people. But why, some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask why climb the highest mountain or why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they're easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we're unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Yes, Kennedy did his best to make the thought of going to the moon romantic and to bring the flavor and fun and dreaming to the aspiration of becoming the world's space science leader. And what Kennedy started came to pass. Years later, on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped off the ladder of the lunar module and onto the moon's surface. And since that time, many space science innovations have come to pass. For example... Today, there are almost 5,000 satellites in orbit around the Earth. SpaceX owns 1,600. OneWeb owns 288. The Chinese government owns 129. Russia owns 125. And the U.S. Air Force, 87. SpaceX has a goal to deliver Internet access to every person on Earth from their satellite network. They call it Starlink. And many predict... They will be the global leader in internet service. Satellites are providing new science in television, internet, radio, and yes, military applications. So, in your business, in your life, what is your aspiration? Have you looked into the future and decided how you must innovate in order to grow? Well, we may hesitate to do so because it seems confusing or complicated, but the truth is, you can approach it simply. For example, let's say in your business, the ground is shifting a bit. Consumers have access to hundreds of stores online, and it's harder to stand out. So how must you innovate to get your brand noticed? Well, start with your aspiration. Do you aspire to build a wellness brand that's authentic and genuinely helping others? Because that would be unique. That would get noticed. Then how, both in person and online, can you portray Authenticity. You see, now with that aspiration, you can start to innovate and you can see how it begins with what you aspire to do. Well, the next essential of innovation McKinsey found in their study was this great innovators choose. What does that mean, choose? Well, for most people in businesses, it isn't the scarcity of options but rather the inability to choose from among those options that limits innovation. The same may be true of you and me in our life. Do we reinvent ourselves and how we communicate or our physical health or what we do for work or how we raise our family or where we spend our time? You see, it requires a choice. To innovate in your business or life requires you choose. So how do you choose where to innovate? Well, the answer to that lies in a few key questions that you must answer first. And here they are. What's your biggest opportunity? What's your biggest threat? And in your business or life, what's the one thing that drives all other areas? For example, in your business, having a pipeline of customers drives everything else. Therefore, innovating there would yield the most return. And after you've answered these three questions, answer this. What gets you motivated? and excited. You see, with the answers to those questions, you can choose the one thing upon which to focus. And focus allows and forces you to think, get creative, and innovate. Next, McKinsey's research tells us in order to innovate, accelerate. Now, for most of us, to accelerate means to knock down barriers. You may not think so, but in your life, you have barriers to doing things faster or better. And barriers take the shape of habits, people, mindsets, and other things. So how do you change the barriers in your life? Well, one way is to create the space in life in which your local economy, or how you see things, favors change. Here's the point. When Kennedy launched and others brought about the Apollo space program, it was extremely expensive. But the goal, the environment, the innovation removed the barriers of budget and allowed innovation to happen. If you want another example, take a lesson from Disney. Yesterday, about 85,000 people walked through the gates of Disneyland in California. And each of those people will spend about $318. Yes, $318 per person. That's $27 million in total each day. Why do we spend so much at Disneyland? Well, it's simple. Disney creates their own economy. When you walk through the gates of Disneyland, it's as if you put aside your normal thinking. In the local economy of Disneyland, you don't measure time necessarily, only wait times. And in typical life, you would never stand in line for an hour, ever. But at Disneyland, you do it without thinking. Once in Disney, you don't think of eating a churro for breakfast and a corn dog for lunch or a 5,000-calorie turkey leg for dinner. And you don't even think about vitamins or minerals or the digestive congestion that you'll have for days afterward. And inside the Disney local economy, money has a different value. You don't think about an $8 ice cream bar or a $5 bottle of water. And every purchase you make normalizes the prices even more. So soon you're paying $30 for a Mickey cup holder for your car. And the worst thing is about all of this, it's horribly addicting. So how does Disney create an economy in which you accept all of the things you would normally never accept? They create the environment in which you're focused on other things like Disney characters or watching your kids get excited. Now, the same goes for you and me. To innovate, we can create our own economy where change is more valuable than other things in our lives so that we can say no to the barriers in our life because we have a yes sitting before us. Now, one barrier we all face is confirming that we're innovating in the right direction. We may not have all the answers, but we need to move forward with some uncertainty. But often that uncertainty holds us back. So as you begin your new innovation, learn all you can. Be a curious student of everything in your business. Learn, try, test, and retest, and that will help you overcome uncertainty. Next, innovators do something really important, scale. What does it mean to scale, and how can you apply it to your life? Well, to scale means to increase something in size, number, or proportion. And in modern business terms, it means to do so to enable more capacity or production. For your small business, it may mean putting in processes that make the action automatic versus having to think about the action every time. You know, Starbucks was founded in 1971 and has a mission to become the third place to go after work and home for their customers. Innovation has been at the heart of much of what they do. In 2011, one barista started to innovate. She wanted to connect with the customers, so she wrote the first name of each customer on the customer's cup, and that quickly made its way to the home office. And months later, the Name on the Cup, or the First Name Basis initiative, was launched at all Starbucks stores. That means each year, 4 billion names are written on cups. Not a bad way to perk up the daily grind. Now, for you and me, it means we get hugely organized and then do those things that we've chosen to do at the same time in the same way every day. For example, let's say acquiring new leads is critically important to your business. And one way you've decided to innovate is to become a better people person and build relationships and invite others with more confidence. And one way to scale that is to always ask for referrals. In every approach or conversation, you end it by asking for the name of the person who would be a good fit for what you do or what you're looking for. Next, McKinsey says to do something rather profound to foster innovation, be a partner of choice. They said this, Successful innovators achieve significant multiples from every investment by accessing the skills and talents of others. In this way, they speed up innovation and uncover new ways to create value for their customers and partners. You see, most of the best ideas come from other people. For example, Flamin' Hot Cheetos are a favorite snack for people across the globe. But the idea for that came from an unlikely source. In the mid-1980s, Frito-Lay was going through a difficult time. So the CEO announced a new initiative for all 300,000 employees to act like an owner. Richard Montañez had dropped out of school in the fourth grade because he struggled with English. And at the time of the CEO's announcement, Montañez was a company janitor earning $4 an hour. Well, he was inspired by the opportunity, and he called the CEO's office and asked for a meeting. And it was Grant. You see, Richard had been picking up snacks at his local store when he noticed that there was no product catering to Latinos. So he managed to grab some Cheetos took them home, and covered them in a homemade spice mix. He then packaged them into baggies and brought them with him to his meeting with the Frito-Lay executive board. Flamin' Hot Cheetos is now one of Frito-Lay's most successful launches ever, and Montanez is the VP of Multicultural Sales and Community Promotions. He's amassed a personal fortune of over $20 million. To be a partner of choice, you've got to give all you can time, encouragement, and support to others. Why? Because it's likely your partners will bring you your next innovative idea. So, as we end today, remember, the ground is likely to move underneath your feet. So, get ready, look into the future, and decide today how to bring a bit more innovation into your life and business. To do so, Get clear about what you aspire to do. Aspirations force innovations. Next, choose your focus. Then scale your ways of innovating and accelerate those processes so you don't get bogged down waiting for the perfect answer or full information. And become a partner of choice, because much of your innovation will come to you from others. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.